When Harry's wife asked him that morning if he wouldn't mind taking their child to her first day at preschool, Harry knew he shouldn't mind. But the fact is, he did. He had a particularly burdensome schedule ahead of him that day. He didn't feel like he had the time to do this. He wanted to go in early, but he felt he couldn't say no. And yet inside, he was seething. Didn't she understand what an interruption this was? Didn't she get it how much he carried as the CEO of a major company? Why couldn't she seem to understand? Miles away, Susan suddenly found herself stirred out of her slumber. She realized that the alarm had been going off for quite a while. She hadn't heard it. Her work week had been so intense, she was just exhausted. And now she looked and realized she was going to be terribly late for a whole set of appointments she had. She fumed with anger. I don't need this right now, she thought to herself. And she rolled out of bed. Off in another county, Bob was just going out of the door of his home, out towards his car, when he heard the telephone ringing back inside. Ah, oh, he thought to himself, ah, I, don't, I don't have time for this. He took another step down the front walk and then thought, oh, what if it's something important? And he went back inside and found himself embroiled in a long conversation that wasn't very important after all. For Debbie, it was the dawdling child that interrupted her program. He took forever to get anything done. And now she was going to be late getting him to childcare, and she would probably miss her train. Then there was the guy who did miss the bus because he got held up in traffic. And there was the woman who found herself caught in a, in a fender bender on the turnpike that made her very late. Then there was the other one who spilled food on herself at breakfast and had to take the time to go upstairs and change her clothes. And every single one of these people found themselves going through one of those nerve-jangling, teeth-gritting, foot-tapping, palpitation-inducing interruptions of the kind that drive you and me crazy. Can I hear an amen? Do you know what this is like? Does this happen to you? Why is this so upsetting when these things happen to us? I think it's because we are so important No, I, I mean that. Seriously, it's, it's not like we think we're gods or the president or anything. But we've got stuff to do, right? People counting on us. We've got places to go. We've got plans to fulfill. We're just out there, most of us, trying to live the dream, right? Trying to, 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 to live into the potential of all that we see that is possible. Or we're just out there trying to hold the dream together. So when our chosen channel gets interrupted along the way, it makes us angry. It grinds on us. It makes us want to shake our fist at heaven or lash out at other people around us. And it probably had all of those same kinds of effects on the people whose stories I just described 
And every one of those stories I've just described actually happened to real people. And as it turned out, each of those interruptions kept each of those people from getting to work on time at their jobs at the World Trade Center on the morning of September 11th. When we meet him in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph has no idea yet that the interruption he is about to experience is actually a blessed calamity. It is the kind of interruption which will be his salvation and the salvation of many, many others, literally speaking. Now, on the day that we meet him, however, Joseph can't see that. He is just out there trying to live the dream, if you understand. I do need to qualify that when I say he was trying to live the dream, Joseph's dreams were not quite like the American dream, the dreams that we have today. Joseph never fantasized about getting into a, a big-name college. He never uh, dreamed of, of making a million bucks and retiring in some relaxed spot. He never uh, fantasized about uh, winning a TV reality show or being named Person of the Year by the Jerusalem Time magazine. He, this kind of stuff never crossed Joseph's mind because there was so little mobility in Joseph's world. I mean, there was almost none in Joseph's world. Joseph wouldn't even have dreamed of having a substantially better life than his mom and dad had had or his grandparents before that. He, he wouldn't even have had the, the spiritualized version of the American dream we sometimes have in which he thinks to himself, I hope I get to do great big things for God. He never thought of those things in all likelihood. No, if Joseph had dreams of his own, they were much, much simpler ones. Joseph wanted to find a nice girl to marry. That would have been one of his dreams. He'd like to put down roots in one place and stay put and not be pushed all around by the circumstances of the world, by the invading armies, by the marauders that afflicted so many people. Joseph just wanted to raise a son who could take over his carpentry business when Joseph needed to finally lay down his tools. Joseph wanted to be respected by the other people in his village and by his family members. And if Joseph really had a big dream at all, it was that he might live to a ripe old age and be able to have grandchildren who would carry on his work and his family name. Oh, God, give me an ordinary life. A good, ordinary life, Joseph probably prayed. But in the midst of this program, in the midst of this channel Joe was into, the triune God came to him and said, we interrupt this life. We interrupt this life. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about, the Bible says. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child. Now, I don't really know how to do justice 
to what a nightmare this was for Joseph. We, we talked last week about the impact it had on Mary. I want to look at the story of Joseph with you, if you'd permit me to today. Because you see, when you're an ordinary guy living in a pretty poor town in first century Israel, you don't have much. Okay? You don't have much. But at least you've got your pride. <sighs> at least you've got your pride. And if you're betrothed, to be married as Joseph was, you take pride in that. That you have completed one of the most important life stage uh, events possible. You found yourself a good wife. Now it's important to understand that every Hebrew boy and every Hebrew girl for that matter grew up hearing the description of the good wife. Everybody knew it. It was encapsulated in a particularly famous passage of Scripture from Proverbs, the 31st chapter, that goes like this. A probably felt like he'd won the lottery when he found Mary. She was going to be a good wife, and he would be a good husband. She was somebody in whose loyalty he could have full confidence, like Proverbs says. She was somebody who would bring him good, not harm, all the days of his life, like Proverbs 31 said. She was a person whose partnership would not only make his domestic life easier, her partnership would make his public reputation greater. People would see the devotion that Mary had to him, and he would be respected at the city gate, and he would be able to build his business more easily, and he would be able to sit with pride among the elders of his community. And in this, Joseph took pride and placed a lot of hope and then came the interruption. Then came the great interruption. As Tracy reminded us last week, the Jewish custom was that women would remain virgins until they were betrothed to a man. There was an actual test as to whether the woman had remained this way, uh, an actual test that would occur before the betrothal went through, and assuming all was clear, the engagement ceremony would take place, and the groom's family at that point would pay to the bride's family an impressive sum, at least relatively speaking for those days. It was called a mohar in the Hebrew. It was the bride price. It was, a, it was an act of recognition to this other family that they had done a spectacular job of raising a good wife, a wonderful woman, a great compliment now to, to their son's life uh, for the days to come. And that sum of money, the mohar, was 
always, or at least almost always, larger than the dowry which the bride's family, the bride's father, would hand down to his daughter on the day of their marriage to help them buy stuff. You know, to go to Williams Sonoma and the container store and places like that. So, so I want you to kind of put all this together with me. Because Joseph's family have now paid the mohar, the bride price. And the betrothal has taken place. And Joseph and Mary are now regarded as husband and wife. They haven't yet consummated it all. That'll happen on the wedding day. But they believe there is no chance now that things could really go wrong. No chance that Mary, at this point, is going to get entangled with another man. Her parents would be especially careful about that. Mary's parents would be on high alert about that if they needed to be at all. Because now there was money in the deal, as well as honor. And from the engagement point on, Joseph and Mary were, as I said, husband and wife, and they would remain, both of them, completely chaste. They would live in separate houses. She's still at her house. He at his house until the wedding day when the great party would start and eventually a great musical procession would accompany them as they went from Mary's house down to Joseph's house and the couple went inside and they consummated the marriage with their physical union. This is how it was supposed to work. This is how it had worked forever. This was the well-grooved channel of centuries of tradition. But the Bible says before they came together, Mary was found to be with child. Now, as we heard last week, the Old Testament law did have a provision for this sort of thing. As rare as it was, the Old Testament told you what to do if the channel got interrupted. And to put it in modern parlance, it was this. Reboot the TV. Turn it off. And then restart on a different channel. Deuteronomy chapter 22 was the TV guide on this. It read, if a man happens... I know that sounds unbelievably harsh from the vantage point of the 21st century. But let me try and explain the context a little bit better, if I may. People in the ancient world felt that unless you dealt decisively with a disease like adultery, it would spread. The whole social order would become unstable over time. They felt similarly, incidentally, about sons who disrespected their dads. Like a son who went to his dad and said, I'd like 
I'd like my inheritance now, my share of the inheritance now, Dad, before Dad had died. That's the background to the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells. And it's why the people who heard Jesus talk about a father who shows grace towards that particular son, it's why those people were just jaw-dropping aghast at that scenario. Because what they understood, that what they believed needed to be done in those circumstances was to grab that kid by the scruff of his neck, haul him outside to the city gate, and stone him to death. Because if you allowed that kind of a disease of disrespect to go on, it would wreck an entire community. Many of the rules of ancient society were arranged around preserving the hierarchy of authority. And specifically, the, the role that the man played in the life of a family or a community. You were out to preserve, and just hear me on this, the male authority figure's pride. Their pride, their stature, their self-respect, their standing in the community. Now, now, it was not a male ego thing, at least not mostly. That wasn't where this came from. In a world where foreign armies and hostile tribes and marauding bandits routinely savaged communities, routinely savaged communities. I read recently, by the way, that the amount of violent crime that we endure here today in the United States is 50 times less than was routine in the Middle Ages. And back in ancient times, it was even worse. I mean, it was just, there was just staggering danger. And because of this, it was extremely important that there was a strong man within a household and, that, and leading communities. I mean, literally physically strong to help a family deal with the constant threats that existed outside. So respect for the male authority figure was viewed as a crucial keystone to social stability. And I know that's really hard to value in a family guy culture, right? Or in a culture where sometimes male authority has been abused, you know, really abused. I know it's hard for us to to see this ancient perspective, but this is the way it was. This is the backdrop to this moment when Joseph discovers he has been so profoundly disrespected rejected, wounded socially and otherwise. Now, Joseph, according to the law of that time, was completely within his rights to put Mary away. And I mean that in the harshest kind of sense. He was within his rights to to do that. He could insist that Mary be investigated for adultery. There would be a trial. Mary would be hauled in, and if they could find the guy, he'd be hauled in as well. If she was found guilty, or the other one found guilty, they would be taken outside to the city gate. They would have their clothes stripped off uh, uh, to to reveal the shame, uh, their nakedness, moral and physical. And, and, And then she or he or both of them would be stoned to death, bludgeoned to death, right there in that particular spot. And you know what? The women in the community would have been cheering there too as unthinkable as that might be for us today. They would have been there. It would not have looked like a lynching, okay? One of those awful civil rights, terrible things that happen in our country. It would not have been seen that way. It would have been much more like one of those Old West films where, where in the Old Wild West, the whole community turns out for the public hanging because, 
because they believe it's necessary to guard the safety and structure of the social order. It would have maintained respect for marriage. It it would have kept Joe from being the butt of jokes and and mockery and whispers and pity for the rest of his life. It it would have kept Joseph's business and his families from being uh, soiled or compromised by suspicion that he was a wimp that couldn't deal with the problem that was so obviously in infecting his home and his community, and it would have completely done away with the suspicion that maybe Joe was the guy who had impregnated her. There was every incentive, in other words, for Joseph to put Mary on trial. Are you with me? You get this so far? Okay. This is what, this is what makes so amazing what happens next. Because instead of allowing this interruption of his program to fire up his pride and to exact judgment, instead of doing the thing that would have been so natural to do, that would have actually gotten the approval of the whole community had he chosen to do it, Joseph made it an occasion to lay down his pride out of compassion for Mary. Matthew's gospel says, and I quote, Because Joseph, Mary's husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind just to divorce her quietly. Now, that's a really interesting definition of the word righteous, I think. And I want to stop and pause on that for a moment. Because when we hear the word righteous, I think a lot of us often think of someone who is riding their high horse, who is asserting their rights, who's adhering to the letter of the law, but in the life of Joseph, the word righteous gets its full content in the way that it it gets its full content in the character of God too, one who is both just and merciful. And it describes here in the life of Joseph someone who could, by all rights, lord it over somebody else, who could have played the part of a judging God, but who instead chooses to sacrifice his pride and his position in order to help someone, to serve someone whom nobody would agree was worthy of that service. Does that act remind you of anyone else? It should at Christmas time. Have this mind in you, says St. Paul, that was in Christ Jesus, who, being in must have smiled when he saw Joseph's action here. But he had to have been grinning. And one of the evidences that he, his heart throbbed in the direction of this disciple who seemed to get God's own character is that he chooses to, to come now to Joseph and offer him some help 
with these circumstances. Matthew's gospel tells us that an angel of the Lord You believe your life is really supposed to all be about? Well, Joseph, here's the news. It's a blessed calamity. It's a blessed calamity. Trust me. It's a crisis God's going to use to bring a, about a greater end, to bring about the salvation of all of humanity. Trust this. What I want to invite you to think about as you go today is what God's dream might be for you. What God's message might be for you. I want to ask you to consider that place in your life right now where, where everything in you is saying, this shouldn't be happening to me. Or maybe that moment's just around the corner. It's this afternoon. It's tomorrow. It's this week. And you'll be saying, ah, I don't need this. This interruption, this shouldn't be happening to me. I don't deserve this. Something's wrong with the universe here. Or that person must pay for what they're doing to wreck this this part of my life, and you're going to face some situation I know out there somewhere, maybe you're there right now, where you're going to feel like you're within your rights to exact judgment, and you probably will be within your rights. You're going to be in a position where you're going to feel like, or you're going to look like a doormat if you don't return evil for apparent evil and punch back against that which is interrupting and staggering you. And maybe that person out there or that thing out there that is doing this to you is evil. Maybe it's the bride of Satan. Maybe it's the brood of Satan himself that is afflicting you in this way. But before you lift the rock, before you resolve that you're going to divorce yourself entirely from that mess, before you do that, I want you to ask this question of yourself. And I will ask it of myself, I promise to. Could this be God's mess? Could this situation actually be God's mess? What if this calamity that has come upon me has the seed of blessing in it if I don't lose hope? What if God is asking me to lay down my pride to lay down my position as he's shown himself willing to do? What if he's asking me to serve this person, to enter this situation as a servant so that God's greater purposes can be born? 
As I said in the start, Joseph had these very modest dreams for his life. He wanted a good wife. He wanted to raise a son who would become a good carpenter. He wanted respect in his village and a family that would outlast him. But when the calamity came that endangered all of that, seemed to actually put all of that away forever as unfulfilled, Joseph nonetheless chose to believe that maybe it was a divine interruption. And instead of living into his dream, he chose to live into God's dream. And he laid down his pride. And he took Mary home. And he became her servant and that of her child, protecting and nurturing them for as long as he lived. It's fascinating, isn't it? How it all turned out. Because it turned out that God had given Joseph the greatest wife, the greatest woman that maybe has ever, ever lived. He gave Joseph a son who turned out to be able to work wonders with wood, far more than any regular kind of carpenter could. It turned out that he gave Joseph the respect of not just his village, but of nations across history. And he gave him a family, some of whom are right here, right now, that will long outlast him. What might God do if you and I would allow him to interrupt our pride and our position and our program and dedicated ourselves a whole lot more to being a servant in all of the various, sometimes messy spheres in which we find ourselves in this life. What might God do with that kind of a servant spirit? Let's find out. Would you pray with me? Lord, when we look hard at the figure of Joseph, we can't help but be reminded of the one that he adopted, cherished, and protected as his own son. Thank you for modeling for us what it looks like to live for service above self and help us to do likewise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.